Welcome to Apologetics with Brian O'Connell, where in each episode, I answer difficult questions that confront Christianity. In our last episode, we looked at archaeological evidence that supports the New Testament. As I ended the episode, I mentioned that you still might be thinking that somehow what I've presented is biased because it comes from the Bible and therefore can't be trusted. If these events really happen, like the Bible said, shouldn't we have writings from other people outside of the Bible? Were there any non-Christians that recorded anything about these events? As I mentioned in our last episode, the answer to this is yes. We have the writings of numerous non-Christians that describe the events that were taking place during the infancy of the church. These writings are known as extra-biblical sources, which I will address in this episode. However, before we look at these non-Christian writers, I want to show you what a couple of the early church fathers wrote. The first church father that I want to bring up is Ignatius. Ignatius lived during the early years of the church. In fact, scholars believe that Ignatius was born around 30 or 35 AD, and we know from historical accounts that he was condemned to death around 107 AD, which means that he lived during the time that the New Testament was being written and died shortly after the last book of the Bible was written by the Apostle John. While Ignatius was being taken to Rome to be put to death, he wrote seven letters that were given to different churches. Delegates from different churches were allowed to visit Ignatius, and it was during these times that they received the letters from him. One of these letters was for the church of Ephesus. What's interesting is that the person who led the delegation for the Ephesian church was Bishop Onesimus, which According to biblical scholars, they believe that this may well have been the slave Onesimus that Paul wrote about in his letter to Philemon. Paul also mentions Onesimus in Colossians chapter 4 verse 9, where he writes, He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. I thought that was interesting. So, anyways, back to these letters. Listen to what Ignatius wrote in his letter to the Ephesians. In the opening of his letter to the Ephesians, Ignatius wrote, Ignatius, who is called Theophorus, to the church which is at Ephesus in Asia, deservedly most happy, being blessed in the greatness and fullness of God the Father, and predestined before the beginning of time, that it should be always for an enduring and unchangeable glory, being united and elected through the true passion by the will of the Father and Jesus Christ, our God, abundant happiness through Jesus Christ and His undefiled grace. I don't know if you caught that, But Ignatius just called Jesus Christ our God. But this isn't an isolated statement by Ignatius. For example, in the same letter to the Ephesian church, he wrote, Being the followers of God and stirring up yourselves by the blood of God, 
ye have perfectly accomplished the work which was beseeming to you. Later in his letter, Ignatius once again points to the deity of Christ. He wrote, There is one physician who is possessed both of flesh and spirit, both made and not made, God existing in flesh, true life in death, both of Mary and of God, first possible, then impossible, even Jesus Christ our Lord. The reason I'm bringing up Ignatius is due to the argument that has been made by Jehovah's Witnesses, Muslims, and others that the belief in the deity of Jesus didn't happen until hundreds of years after the death of Christ. However, as just noted, Ignatius lived during the time that the Bible was being written by the apostles, and he died around 107 A.D., which is only around 12 years after John wrote the last book of the Bible. Ignatius was not influenced by legends that had developed over hundreds of years. He was influenced by those who were eyewitnesses to the death and resurrection of Jesus. So, in these letters that were written less than 12 years after John wrote the last book of the Bible, Ignatius is writing and making it clear that he believed that Jesus was God in the flesh. Twelve years is not enough time for legends to develop. The other Christian thinker that I want us to look at is Irenaeus, who lived around 130 to 200 AD, and he became Bishop of Lyons around 178 AD. Irenaeus was a disciple of Polycarp, who himself had been instructed by the apostles, and he was appointed as bishop of the church of Smyrna by the apostles. In one of his works, Irenaeus wrote this. He wrote, For I have shown from the scriptures that no one of the sons of Adam is as to everything and absolutely called God or named Lord but that he is himself, in his own right, beyond all men who ever lived, God and Lord, and King Eternal, and the Incarnate Word, proclaimed by all the prophets, the apostles, and by the Spirit himself, may be seen by all who have attained to even a small portion of the truth. Now, the scriptures would not have testified these things of him if, like others, he had been a mere man, but that he had, beyond all others in himself, that preeminent birth, which is from the Most High Father, and also experienced that preeminent generation, which is from the Virgin, the divine scriptures do in both respects testify to him also that he was a man without comeliness and liable to suffering, that he sat upon the fowl of an ass, and that he received for drink vinegar and gall, that he was despised among the people and humbled himself even to death, 
and that he is the Holy Lord, the Wonderful, the Counselor, the Beautiful in Appearance, and the Mighty God, coming on the clouds as the Judge of all men. All these things did the Scriptures prophesy of him. It is clear from these early church fathers that the deity of Christ was believed by the early church. Not only that, but as Irenaeus just pointed out, this view was not something that the early church invented. The deity of Christ was something the Old Testament prophets wrote about. So, I've just read to you what other Christians wrote about Jesus. But what about non-Christians? Are there any writings from non-Christians who lived during the early church? If so, what did they write? Well, yes. As I mentioned earlier, there are non-Christian sources who wrote about Jesus and the early church. So now let's turn our attention to those sources and see what they wrote. The first person I want us to look at is Flavius Josephus. If you're unfamiliar with who Josephus is, Flavius Josephus was born shortly after the death of Jesus. He lived from 37 AD to 101 AD, and he lived during the time of the early church. Josephus was a Jewish historian who wrote several different historical works. In fact, he's famous for his collection of books known as the Seven Books of the Jewish War, which were published in AD 75. The other books that he is famous for is a 20-volume work titled Antiquities, which he wrote in AD 93. The significance of Antiquities is that in it, Josephus mentions Jesus Christ, John the Baptist, and James, the brother of Jesus. Listen to what Josephus wrote about Jesus. He wrote, Now, there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men amongst us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at first did not forsake him. And the tribe of Christians, so named from him, are not extinct at this day. The significance of the writings of Josephus is that he acts as an extra-biblical source to verify the events that were recorded in the Bible. For example, he confirmed that Jesus was a real person, that Jesus was seen as a wise man who did wonderful works, that he was crucified on the cross, not only that, but that Pilate was involved. All of these things are recorded in the Gospels and throughout the New Testament. The next person I want to discuss is Tacitus. Tacitus was a Roman historian. In his famous work titled Annals, written between 115 to 117 AD, he described the persecution that was happening to Christians by Emperor Nero. In his account, he mentions Jesus. Listen to what Tacitus writes. He says, 
Christus, the founder of the name, had undergone the death penalty in the reign of Tiberius by sentence of the procurator Pontius Pilate, and the pernicious superstition was checked for a moment, only to break out once more. In this quote, Tacitus not only mentions Jesus, showing that he was in fact a real person, but he also mentions two other people. He mentions Tiberius and Pontius Pilate. Not only that, but he says that Tiberius was reigning during the time of Christ's death, and that the death sentence was carried out by Pontius Pilate, which is exactly what Luke recorded in his gospel. For example, listen to what Luke wrote in Luke chapter 3, verse 1. He wrote, In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene. The significance of Tacitus's quote is that it provides more evidence for the reliability of the scripture and shows that Luke wrote down accurate and historical information. The next person I want to discuss is Pliny the Younger. If you're unfamiliar with Pliny, he was appointed governor of Bithynia around 111 AD, which is on the northern shore of modern-day Iraq. When he became governor, he noticed that due to the growing population of Christians, it was having a negative impact on the pagan temples, and therefore the local economy. The economy was being affected because people were no longer buying animals for their animal sacrifices in the pagan temples. Because of this nuisance, Pliny began writing to Emperor Trajan to see if this new religion should be considered illegal. After investigating this strange new religion, Pliny wrote a letter to Emperor Trajan. In this letter that was written about A.D. 112, Pliny describes the early Christian worship practices. Listen to what he says. He writes, They were in the habit of meeting on a certain fixed day before it was light, when they sang in alternate verses a hymn to Christ as to a God, and bound themselves by a solemn oath not to do any wicked deeds, but never to commit any fraud, theft, or adultery, never to falsify their word, nor deny a trust when they should be called upon to deliver it up, after which it was their custom to separate and then reassemble to partake of food, but food of an ordinary and innocent kind. The significance of what Pliny wrote to Emperor Trajan is that his letter gives us an extra-biblical account of the worship practices in the early church. Not only that, but more importantly, his letter confirms that the early church worshipped Jesus as God from the start. The last person I want to discuss is Lucian of Samosata. Lucian was a Greek writer during the second century, and it was clear from his writing that he thought the Christians were weird. In fact, in his writings, he was very sarcastic in his critique of Christianity. 
For example, listen to what he says. He writes, The Christians, you know, worship a man to this day, the distinguished personage who introduced their noble rites and was crucified on that account. You see, these misguided creatures start with the general conviction that they are all immortal for all time, which explains the contempt of death and voluntary self-devotion which are so common among them. And then it was impressed on them by their original lawgiver that they are all brothers from the moment that they are converted and deny the gods of Greece and worship the crucified sage and live after his laws. All this they take quite on faith, with the result that they despise all worldly goods alike, regarding them merely as common property. The significance of this quote by Lucian is that even though he is sarcastic in how he describes Christians and their worship practices, he provides incredible support for Christians in modern times. What I mean is that in this quote, Lucian verified that Jesus had been crucified and that Christians worshipped Jesus. This is another piece of extra-biblical support showing that Christians have worshipped Jesus from the start of the church. So, as I end this episode, let me review the arguments that have been made against Christianity in the Bible. People have argued that the Bible has been changed over hundreds of years to make it say what Christians want it to say. Not only that, but people argue that the Bible was written by man and is filled with religious fairy tales and therefore can't be trusted. However, over the past several episodes, we have seen that the Bible is not like any other religious books. The Bible is the only religious book that contains predictive prophecy. Not only that, but we have also seen that the Bible has more manuscript evidence than for any other ancient work. In these past two episodes, I've addressed archaeology, and I've shown that archaeology verifies and confirms the claims of the Bible. In fact, in discussing the Dead Sea Scrolls, we saw that the Isaiah scroll is a thousand years older than the oldest manuscripts that we had. Not only that, but we saw that the analysis of the great Isaiah scroll in other Old Testament books proved that the scripture had been copied down accurately and therefore are trustworthy. This further showed that the Bible is divinely inspired and is unlike any other religious book. Lastly, we have seen that there is extra-biblical evidence that supports the Bible and our beliefs. The belief that Jesus Christ was crucified and that Christians have always worshipped Jesus as God from the very start of the church. I'll close this episode with these two passages. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 and Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 to 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 says this, For this reason, we also constantly thank God 
that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. And then in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13, it says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. Over the past several episodes, we've been looking at the Bible to see what makes it different and unique from all other religious books. We have seen that biblical prophecy points to the Bible truly being inspired by God. We've also seen that Christianity is different from all other religions and that the claims of Christianity, that belief in Jesus is the only way to heaven, are not arrogant and narrow-minded, but are in fact truth claims. However, this brings up a question about different groups like Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses that claim to be Christian. Are they Christian? Come back next time as we answer these questions. That's all the time that we have for today. Come back next time as we look at the Mormon church to see if Mormons are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Are Mormons Christians? Come back next time to find out. God bless.